Hello, I'm Neil Aitchison and welcome to Warwick Podcasts. The creation of hybrid human embryos for the first time in the UK looks set to be given consent as the measure has just been given the backing of MPs as the Human Fertilisation and Embryology Bill passes through Parliament. It will allow scientists to continue their work on stem cell research. And one of those scientists that want to carry out such work is Professor Justin Sinjin of Warwick Medical School. And he joins me to explain some of the detail of the work and uh, thinking behind uh, the work in this area. Uh, Justin, first of all, perhaps you're going to explain uh, why you're wanting to carry out such work. Currently, um, there are stem cell lines available within the UK and also in other countries which have been made with spare embryos taken from IVF clinics where patients have generously donated egg, uh, embryos that they no longer needed for their fertility treatment. Now, these stem cell lines um, can be used to uh, understand mechanisms associated with stem cells and how cells differentiate into different cell types. But one of the problems is that um, there are quite a few diseases um, which we as humans have and for which there are no other, so for which there are no animal models in order to understand the underlying mechanisms of these diseases. So we and other scientists have thought about approaches um, as to how we can perhaps derive stem cell models of diseases such as Parkinson's disease, motor, neurons, motor neuron disease, multiple sclerosis, um, heart disease, and many other types of diseases. And many of, um, most of these diseases arise from a genetic mutation which is in the DNA of the patients. Now, one route would be to take, um, is to use the therapeutic cloning approach, whereby one would inject in a cell from that patient into an egg that has had its chromosomes removed. And then from that egg, uh, sorry, this egg would then be activated and then an embryo would form. And then once the embryo has got to what's called the blastocyst stage, which is the final stage before an embryo is ready to implant, um, we could derive, we could take part of those of the cells from that embryo, from an area known as the inner cell mass, and plate these cells onto a plate, and stem cells would proliferate. Now, in this particular instance, we could either differentiate these cells into those cells associated with a specific disease. So if it was Parkinson's disease, for example, we would um, try and make um, nerve cells or neurons from these cells. Um, here in Warwick, we would like to make heart-type cells. These are known specifically as cardiomyocytes. And we would then be able to understand some of the events which take place very early on associated with the mutation which gives rise to this particular disease. However, the rate-limiting step in being able to perform this sort of work is that there are not enough human e eggs available to do this. So three to four years ago, a group of scientists, including myself, came up with a concept that perhaps we could actually use animal eggs in order to do this work because uh, we could then inject the donor cells or the cells from the patient into the animal eggs and then allow these to um, be activated and to develop into embryos as if it was a human egg being used. 
And from this, we could then derive our um, embryonic stem cell lines. Now, potentially, if we can resolve some of the issues associated with the technology here, then we might be able to encourage either women to donate eggs for, um, uh, in, in order that we can make pure human lines, which could then potentially be used for therapeutic reasons later. Are, are we then getting something that creating something that's a mix of human and animal in the end result? In a, to a certain extent, yes. So um, one of the uh, things which we would need to understand more clearly is the fact that um, these embryos and these embryonic stem cells would be 99.9% human with about 0.1% of the DNA coming from the animal egg. And this is because when we remove the chromosomes from the animal egg, that doesn't mean that we've removed all of the DNA because in the area which is away from the chromosomes, in the area called the cytoplasm, there are little bodies known as mitochondria. And these mitochondria are important for energy production, but they also have within them very small circular type DNA called mitochondrial DNA. But this would be um, present. Now, one of the things that we want to do when we're making our cardiomyocytes using this technology here in Warwick is to actually um, take out also the animal mitochondria or mitochondrial DNA and replace this with compatible human mitochondrial DNA so that hopefully we can then generate embryonic stem cells which have human chromosomal DNA and human mitochondrial DNA only so that we would get around the problem of having um, animal mitochondrial DNA in there. But the problem is, is at what stage that we would remove the um, uh, animal mitochondrial DNA and supplement with the um, human mitochondrial DNA. So for potentially, at the beginning, we might have this, um, we might have some animal mitochondrial DNA present. So you're doing this overall to uh, investigate sort of incurable diseases at the moment uh, and you're having to create sort of hybrid uh, animal-human uh, embryos because of the shortage of a sort of natural sort of supply of these. But you're saying that, that uh, there's a technique that you're looking at which may sort of eradicate that uh, animal sort of element. Uh, just explain then what's the legislation that's currently going through Parliament, what that will allow you to do. Okay, so... Up until now, it was not very clear whether the technology we wanted to use would, really be, would have really been covered by the present legislation. The new legislation now states that it is per permitted to do this work, and that, but it's within certain confines. So, for example, um, we can only do this work if we have permission from the Human Fertilization and Embryology Authority, and their responsibility is to vet the science, to make sure that the science is necessary, and it's not just because people want to carry out some sort of investigation, there has to be an appropriate reason for doing this, and that it has to be the only acceptable route in which to carry out this work. So if there are other techniques available or other approaches available, then those must be given priority before this work could be carried out. The other important factor is that we can only do this work 
Uh, we can only use embryos which are no older than 14 days of age. Now, when we would want to harvest uh, embryonic stem cells from an embryo, it is most likely that we would not want the embryos to grow past days five or six, because that is when the embryo is really ripe to harvest the embryonic stem cells. So what we're, what the vast majority of scientists would want to do is to use embryos which are at the pre-implantation stage. And the important thing here is that these embryos would be made in a tissue culture plate. Some people might refer to these as test tubes if you wanted to. Um, and that these embryos, under the new legislation, these cannot be returned to a woman. They cannot be transferred to a woman so that a baby can be generated. And these embryos cannot be returned to an animal so that a baby could be generated. So the generation of these um, hybrid embryos, as you call them, um, is purely for experimental reasons only, and it would not be permitted to produce any baby whatsoever using this technology. Uh, and we think about sort of embryos uh, as a sort of developing uh, human, but that really in sort of is in no sense is what you're handling here, is, it, is that right? There are certain groups in society who would argue that from the point of conception that you have a human being. Um, I would argue that there is not a human being here present because um, the cells we are harvesting are undifferentiated cells and that the primitive streak, which is a clear indicator of the first real signs of neuronal differentiation have taken place, um, uh, will have not taken place at the stage in which we harvest the stem cells from these embryos. And our intention, as is the case for many scientists, is to use the pre-implantation stage embryo. So these are the, from the blastocyst when the first um, inner mass cells become present. And it's those which give rise to the stem cells. And each of those individual stem cells that we harvest um, is undifferentiated and has the potential, once induced, to differentiate into all cell types of the body. So you're using uh, an embryo that's at a stage that's scientifically sort of recognised, that's preconception, really. Is that right? We can't argue it's a preconception because conception technically would have taken place at the point of fertilisation or when we induce, when we transferred the skin cell into the egg. But it's at the point of where um, the development. There is no specific gene expression. Um, at this time, which would confer this as being a fetus. Uh, and we'll perhaps go on to the sort of moral questions that are raised there in a minute, but just to sort of quickly sort of go back to the, to the science, mm -hmm. that, uh, and there are sort of several sort of techniques that are being sort of considered here, mm -hmm. uh, on there, and it's uh, uh, cytoplasmic uh, hybrids or cybrids mm -hmm. uh, that you're particularly interested in. Perhaps you can try to explain that uh, and explain some of the, the, the other sort of three techniques that are being looked at in this area? The cytoplasmic hybrids are the things which we are most interested in. So what happens is that we would take an animal egg and we would remove the chromosomes from that animal egg and inject in a skin cell. So in this particular case then the only animal DNA present would be from the mitochondrial DNA which is resident in the mitochondria. The other technique which is far more controversial is um, 
what what are called the true hybrids. And this is where you might take, for example, an animal egg, and you might fertilize it with human sperm. Now, under the current act, this is allowable up to the two-cell embryo stage because it uh, there there was a technique which was commonly used previously in the infertility clinics to determine whether sperm human sperm were fit to fertilize an egg um, from men who had suspected male infertility. So what happened was that sperm was either um, allowed to swim up to a hamster egg and then penetrate the egg to see if it could go through the pro if it was fit to go through the processes of fertilization or not. Um, now, what is becoming increasingly clear in is that in other European countries that there is a demand to determine some of the other capabilities of sperm because sperm just binding to the egg and trying to fertilize is not the only role that a sperm has. Um, it ha for example, the sperm not only brings its DNA to the egg in order to make a baby or to make an embryo and then subsequently a baby, it also brings important cytoplasmic factors with it which helps establish the, chromos the two populations of chromosomes, those from the mother and those from the father, so that they can recombine and create this new set of cells. And what some scientists would like to do is, for example, to understand some of the mechanisms which the, and some of the roles which the sperm plays in the fertilization process and in the post-fertilization process. Because the sperm brings a lot more to the party now than was first envisaged. And, uh, and until the embryo can drive its own itself by generating um, its own proteins, and this doesn't usually happen until about the four to the eight cell stage of the embryo, the protein, the, this, new, um, this newly conceived embryo is reliant upon factors which the sperm brings and which the egg has. So, it's, oh, so the new embryo doesn't truly function until a little bit later on. Now there are two other um, uh, contentious issues uh, which were in the bill and which will be accepted. And this is, to, this is where scientists, for example, might want to take an um, embryo and inject in a few animal cells. And the importance for this is to understand some of the very early stages of gene expression in embryos so that we can understand, for example, some of the problems which give rise to embryo arrest in women who suffer from this particular problem consistently and can't conceive, and also to understand some of the um, mechanisms which might help us uh, derive stem cells later on. Now, there is one other thing, and this is where some animal uh, and some animal DNA might be injected in. Now this is important because we might want to inject in a specific DNA which would encode for a protein which might fluoresce. And this protein would then tell us when certain genes are being switched on in the embryo. And again, it's important that we try to understand some of these mechanisms so that we understand more and more about embryo development, which may help us understand some of the diseases which arise through the very early stages of embryo development, and also 
why some women again have embryonic failure in the embryos that they and that her partner produces. This is a particular case where scientists have actually said to the legislators and to government, well look, we need to have a new framework here because some of our techniques are evolving faster than the legislation can cover for. And while we are dealing with what one might call contentious or hot issues, that we, it's important that we are able to do this work Without, under a legislative framework and that's why we've been asking for Parliament to rule and to um, set up a legislative framework so that we're not seen to be existing or working outside of a legal framework. We want this work regulated, just as animal research is highly regulated in this country. We want to be in a position where that we know that we're working within a certain framework and that society, through the legislature, supports the work that we're doing. The problem is that if you, if you go down one route of scientific investigation, you have to test that using another route in order to see how effective that is. And that's been the problem with a lot of the debate. I mean, some of the pro-life groups, for example, have argued that there should be no derivation of um, embryonic stem cells using embryos. And they've argued that we should only be using adult cells. But the problem with adult cells is that they don't have, at the moment, the potential to transdifferentiate from one lineage to another. So an adult stem cell which can make blood type cells doesn't necessarily have the potential to make for example an insulin secreting cell or a neuronal type cell or whatever but recently there there has been new data presented where you could take for example an adult skin cell and de-differentiate it so it behaves like an embryonic stem cell but this technique is currently dependent upon the use of viral transfection. So in other words, that the only way you can get the factors into the cell so that it can de-differentiate and become like an embryonic stem cell is to introduce specific genes which are expressed in the embryo, but they have to be packaged within a virus. So potentially these cells could never be used therapeutically, or not at the moment, until other techniques evolved which would help deliver these factors. But the key thing here is that this technique where you induce the cells to differentiate is known, known as induced pluripotency is highly dependent upon knowledge that we've learnt, that we've generated from understanding embryo development and understanding the differentiation of embryonic stem cells was beginning to understand more and more about gene regulation in the embryo and the embryonic stem cells. And once we accrue more and more of this data, we can then transfer it to the IPS system and try and generate cells which can then really be like embryonic stem cells. So what we're arguing is don't close one route, but keep all routes open until we develop the best techniques and then think about re-legislating if necessary. I mean, I would be the first to say that if we can induce adult stem cells to be like true embryonic stem cells, then, and we don't need to use viral systems, etc., to deliver the factors which induce this to happen, then there may be an argument for not doing certain experiments. But until we know which is correct, 
you know, we have to keep all lines of avenues open. Uh, and that's one of the sort of claims to overcome all this sort of great controversy is to use adult stem cells, but you're saying that that's not quite uh, right at the moment, that no. it doesn't quite do the same sort of thing. That, uh, no. Just to come back to one sort of very important point, which is perhaps part of this sort of area, which you explained earlier, is that uh, what you're looking into is to, to try and eradicate all of the, uh, the animal sort of element of uh, hybrid uh, stem cells. Uh, I mean, is that part uh, of what we're sort of trying to get to, that uh, we have to sort of go through this particular phase of using uh, hybrids to develop uh, research where we can eradicate that uh, animal uh, element to create uh, human-only stem cells. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally, I think that's the case, right? Others would argue against that, but that comes down to one scientist um, having a hypothesis which works in one particular direction and another and another. My view is that, I mean, if you're going to create a human embryonic stem cell, let's make it as human as feasibly possible. And that's the reason we're going down this route. And what are the sort of benefits in research uh, of doing this, of using uh, hybrid embryos then? Because uh, the people that are, are against this type of research say that uh, you want a bit of a sort of fishing trip research-wise then it's a completely unknown uh, what we're going to derive from this. Well, it's been shown by Chinese scientists that you can take a human cell and you can inject it into a rabbit egg and they've been able to make several embryonic stem cell lines using this technology. So this is not something which hasn't been achieved. Okay. What needs to be done is um, a serious amount of scientific investigation to refine and to improve the techniques. And as soon as we can start this, we can, the sooner we can make progress on this. But the, I think the overriding issue here is that actually, you know, there are many incurable diseases out there at the moment. And I think this is a worthwhile attempt at trying to cure, to find answers to some of these things. I'm not saying that we're going to find the answers to these diseases. I'm not saying that you know, we're going to have abundant success in the next year or so. I think this is a long-term process and that it's going to require a lot of sweat and it's going to require a lot of tears. But we're prepared to invest the time into doing this you know, and, stay and see if we can actually achieve something that, which is... Uh, feasible here. But one is the sort of realistic hope of getting to that stage sometime in the future of actually tackling some of these incurable diseases. Well, I, I mean, I think there is high potential here. Otherwise, I wouldn't be going down this route here. You know, I'd be looking for other alternatives. But I think the embryo um, and the hybrid embryo offers a potential that we've not had before. And I think what happens in the embryo is significantly important in terms of how a cell might de-differentiate. And the induced pluripotency technology has not shown us that yet. And there are significant differences between the st embryonic stem cell-like cells, which we get from induced pluripotency, and those which we get from um, embryos. So we ha again, we have to make sure that we have an abundant amount of information available to us that we can make the right choices and make the right selections as we're performing our experiments. Uh, and morally, one of the sort of moral arguments against all this is that uh, 
you're kind of mixing or playing about with the sort of fundamentals of human life, really, that, uh, and that you're adding uh, animal elements to the basic human elements of life. Uh, but what's your response to that? Then? Well, I, I understand that certain um, sectors of societies would have problems with this. I mean, I, um, I, I, I understand the arguments that the Catholic Church and pro-life put across here. But I think that, you know, finding the answers to, or trying to find the answers to some of these incurable diseases is also a moral obligation and that, um, you know, one can argue at one end of a spectrum and the other can argue, might argue at the other end of a spectrum. But I think in the end, we all have one common purpose and that's to try and improve the quality of life for individuals. There is a minimal amount of animal DNA in these cytoplasmic hybrids. And we're talking about 0.1%. But, you know, one might quite, might also argue that, you know, if we go for a, uh, if we have a problem with a heart valve, we can take a, take some pig um, tissue and substitute that heart valve with this pig tissue. And this is commonly used. So as humans, we have been prepared to accept animal tissues in order to improve the quality of our life. The difference here is that we have a little bit of mitochondrial DNA which is going into this system and if we are able to manipulate that mitochondrial DNA we could have a purely human-human entity there. We rely upon animal products for very many things to support human development. You know, um, monoclonal antibodies were made um, using animals. Um, vaccines were uh, derived this way. There was great protest in those days, but you know, now um, we wouldn't think necessarily twice about having a vaccination before we traveled away on holiday or whatever. And I think the difference between traveling away on holiday and also thinking about incurable diseases, I mean, I don't think there's any issue. And how sort of controllable is this sort of process? Because that's the other concern is, is that, uh, and sort of the colorful language here is that we're kind of going into an abyss that uh, it's something that uh, creating something that's unnatural uh, and uh, therefore we sort of run the risk of creating something that's very dangerous that can get out of control. Uh, uh, is that a sort of controllable process? I believe it is and I think that in the UK the regulatory system is perhaps the best in the world because the Human Fertilization and Embryology Authority will control absolutely everything that we do. We have to seek their permission if we want to change our protocols. We have to seek their permission if we want to um, add new steps to our procedures or whatever. We can't do anything without their permission. And the law is very clearly defines that we're only allowed to do certain things and allow these embryos to grow up to a certain period of time. And if I go over, if I step over the mark, the HFEA will close down my uh, laboratory for carrying out this particular sort of work, and I'm pretty sure I would never get a license again to do this work. And it's scientists who want this. This is the whole problem. Though. We want to be able to work within a legal framework so that we're not then seen to be sort of mavericks running off doing an experiment at whim 
uh, without thinking about the ethics or the consequences of this. But, but what about the more sort of general sort of element that uh, you are sort of creating something that, that has never been created before, or something that uh, you could term as kind of unnatural in a way that hasn't been created in the natural world, and uh, something that might therefore have a sort of life of its own that we can't uh, restrict? Okay, so I, I'm not sure that these embryos would ever really be viable. Um, I think that uh, our abilities to keep these embryos going for six, seven days is, um, you know, we're, we're currently pushing our luck, okay? I don't think that these will ever give, really give rise to an offspring. And the regulations say that we can't transfer them into a woman or an animal anyhow. So actually, we're limited in what we can do with these. But I understand that there are people out there who will quite legitimately argue that, yes, it is an entity, okay? But my view and the view of other scientists is also that, you know, that really this is not um, a human being, okay? This is um, an embryo in its very, very early stages. And you know, the va very, very many embryos, even when they're conceived naturally, do not implant. Okay, it's not that we're talking about that we're, we have a potential of one life here which we're terminating, right? The vast majority of embryos do not implant. The chances of implanting an embryo conceived naturally are far lower than actually we actually think. And what will this, just coming back to research, well, what, what will this do for research in this area in this country? I mean, one of the other sort of arguments is that uh, virtually no other country conducts this type of research. So w what would be the effect on research in this country? Well, I think um, this puts the UK, um, well, this will maintain the UK as one of the leading stem cell um, research uh, communities in the world. Uh, However, saying that, California has invested a vast amount of money into embryonic stem cell research um, through money raised through the, the state government there, and it was endorsed by a plebiscit. There are other countries who don't want to allow this sort of work, but I know, for example, in the Czech Republic, this work, is, this work could be done, and there are other countries where it is also. So I think we have to be careful about when we say that, you know, this work will only ever be carried out in Britain. It's not the case. And if the legislation does get through, what will that sort of immediately sort of mean then for the sort of future of uh, research in this area? What's the sort of next step then? Anybody who wants to work in this area has to have a licence from the HFEA. And two have been granted um, prior to the legislation going through Parliament. And I'm sure these groups are happy now that Parliament is has fully endorsed the procedure and their life, they will carry on with their work. Our work will start as soon as the HFEA uh, um, take our application to their license committee and endorse it, if that's what's going to happen. And I think several other groups will now apply. I think some groups have held back because they've been worried about whether the um, work is going to be accepted into British law or not. But I think that there will be uh, several groups who will carry out some of this work and think seriously about, you know, the benefits to their work. Um, I don't think groups will set out specifically only to do this work. I think that they will use it as a comparative model to something else so that they can gain more information that way. Mm -hmm.